he loves a spreadsheet. Oh, that'll bore his tits off. <laughs> You're listening to Widowed Air with Rosie Gilmoss and Lucinda Boast. We've invited some members of the world's most exclusive club to bravely share their stories. Join us for some honest conversations about living a different life, the crushing lows, the surprising highs and everything in between. Please note this is a podcast about death. Carefully read the episode descriptions and be kind to yourself. But for now, welcome to our podcast. Let's begin. Hello and welcome back to Widowed AF. You're here with me and Lulu. We're going to just have a little bit of a chat about Monday's episode with Anthony and probably, you know, have a little bit of a chat about our own lives and weeks. So, hi, Lou. How are you? I'm good. I can't believe we're at the end of another week. And I mean, we spoke to Anthony last week, so us two have had a while to marinate on his story, haven't we? Yes. And process it. But it's been interesting, the immediate response it's received since we released it on Monday. Yeah, and quite a a sort of visceral response, actually. I think, I know personally, I had quite a difficult birth with one of my children and, and Ben was, you know, had that moment where I was taken off and and put under a general setting and he had no idea what was going on and I just remember the look on his face when I came round and how terrified he looked but obviously I was okay and my child was okay and you share these war stories in in baby groups and toddler groups and at coffee mornings and you know so many of my friends and people I know had quite close calls during childbirth but you know survived and then you hear about somebody not surviving and the reality of you know how serious it can be and how how dangerous giving birth can be and it really I don't know it just makes you think actually in a you know in countries like the UK and America that people are still dying in childbirth. It's shocking that and actually reading Anthony's story I know that you've known him a few years already but reading it my first response was that happens that that (laughs) still happens and then I researched the condition that Courtney had which was amniotic fluid embolism and it's it is very rare but when it's happening, it's almost impossible for the medical staff to know what mm-hmm. it is because all they're seeing is that person isn't responding. So they won't have been able to even tell Anthony what was happening, which must have been so scary. And I could really hear that in his voice. You know, he went to the hospital expecting to bring his wife and second baby home. And he came home initially without either of them. And there was no guarantee that Bobby was going to survive. I think that really stuck with me, you know, the thought of going in there together so excited and Darby being at home waiting, excited to meet her little brother and then him having to walk out alone. It just sends chills down your spine, doesn't it? I mean, Bobby was okay, but just what a a horrific, horrific loss. We had actually, we've had some really nice responses as well. His dad actually has sent a message via Anthony just saying how, how beautifully Anthony did and how well he portrayed Courtney and the children and also that he had been very he'd made aware of Anthony's side of the loss which I guess you know particularly with men we do talk about how men tend to be more private and it's they almost feel like they don't have the right to speak of their loss when you know these children have lost their mum these people have lost their daughter and I think to actually own your own grief and pain is a very powerful thing to do. It is and Anthony spoke about those initial moments of having to disseminate what had happened to his family, mm. friends, his work colleagues, and almost counsel them through their reaction. 
because mm. it was shocking and horrible, even people at the bank in the city who he had to inform. And I got the impression that he, he kind of had to put his own emotions on hold in order to do that. And what a strong and massive hearted man he is. Yeah, you can hear the love, can't you? That's that's the and it, and it, it is the kind of the common theme in all these stories we're hearing is the love for your person that has died, and even you still have some residual love, although you try and deny it. I I know it's there, but also the love for the you know for the people who have children, the love for their children, and the determination to get yourself through your own suffering in order to help them but it does come at a cost and that cost is so often our own the processing our own grief and I you know as I've spoken about prior I'm I'm going to be five years this month and March is a it's a, it's a very difficult one my birthday's in March Mother's Day March of the last day we had together and oh, I'm going to be 42 which is unbelievable I know and Ben was 42 when he died and I find this passing of time very very strange and the fact that I'm now only really beginning to process a lot of grief that I didn't in the beginning because I masked it with all these coping mechanisms like keeping myself busy, looking after the children, booze. And so it's, it, I don't know, it, it, this this work we do to protect the people we love, at some point it does have a price to pay, doesn't it? It definitely does. It catches up with you, whether you want it to or not. And that can be years down the line, months down the line. You have these episodes of grief and for me, they've become fewer and further between and less intense. Yeah, and it doesn't really seem to... I mean, it gets easier sort of day to day, but the grief attacks, they do still come. My my mother-in-law is her husband, so Ben's dad died on exactly the same day as Ben, but five years prior. So this poor woman has got a 10-year and a five-year anniversary coming up. And, you know, that's that's going to that's gonna sting a lot, isn't it? And the kids with their milestones as well. Anthony spoke about um, Bobby, who he's... He's raised from birth. I know he's had some wonderful support. He's got a living nanny, which is amazing. That's something that, you know, he knows he's lucky to have. Mm. But Bobby has reached these milestones now where he's starting to ask about his mum. And Anthony described where Bobby had drawn a picture of a pregnant lady. And he said, that's me in in cricket, the nanny's tummy. Um, Mm. And he felt quite angry about his own mum, which was heartbreaking, Mm, I know it is. And these these little children, they they just haven't got the words or the emotional maturity to process it, have they? We've just had the most enormous outpouring of love for Anthony and, and his kids. Loads of messages, loads of comments on social media. And it's been it's been really lovely for him as well, I think, to put his story out, to be that brave and have effectively like a massive hug and and a hug from all around the world because people are you know engaging from Canada and Australia and New Zealand and America and it's bringing this huge community of people together which is again it's one of these unexpected benefits of the podcast that we didn't we didn't know we'd have. No exactly and actually we've had an influx of applications from international guests which is wonderful and it's so interesting to hear the different support systems in different countries. That's something that I'm really looking forward to exploring. It was fascinating hearing Anthony talk about even just, the, you know, the structure of the people that he worked for, you know, the support that he was given there. Not all of us can relate to that. So it, it'll be interesting to explore those different stories. Oh, my goodness. We are actually booked up with guests until July, Lucinda. And what? I know, I know. Cancel your holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going 
going to have to do one from holiday because I ain't cancelling. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And we've also had another voice message, which is so lovely. I do really enjoy listening to these. And we'll play you a little section. This is from Meg, who lives on the Isle of Man. And Meg lost her mum 18 years ago, but she really feels like the way we talk about the grief and, you know, the, the loss, it applies across so many so many different losses and forms of grief and she she just she seems like a very lovely lady actually because she when a friend of hers lost their, their husband and she bought her children some books about grief but she also book, bought the same books for her own children so that they could understand and be kinder and I thought oh wow isn't that just such a generous thing to do it really is thing. to have thought of that and and that must be so useful for friends of your kids so we're just going to play you a little clip of Meg here I've watched my dad disappear and then re-emerge again. And so much of what you're saying is rings so many bells with me, despite my loss not being the same as yours. If you, and I'm so proud of you both sharing these stories and helping other people to share these stories so that it isn't a taboo and isn't a subject that is not talked about. You're speaking about life and you're speaking about love that has nowhere to go for that specific person anymore so that that all is what grief is to me oh I absolutely love what she said there about we're speaking about life and love that has nowhere to go and isn't that just the most accurate description of so many people's grief it's interesting um you know the way that she puts that is so familiar for all of us because the love doesn't just suddenly go overnight and that person's energy doesn't just disappear into the ether either it's left behind for a long long time to come yeah there's a there's a saying isn't there that grief is love it's what the love turns into so instead of fighting it all the time you have to sort of learn to coexist with it and and actually what you have to get get rid of is the, the trauma and the, the anger and all the, the sort of negative, that's what you, you can work through in therapy. But the one thing I have learned is that the grief ain't going anywhere. Like that, you stuck with that. Exactly. I mean, for a long time, obviously, I was in shock after John died but and, and felt all sorts of angry emotions. But I clung on to that love for as long as I could afterwards and waited to kind of, well, I didn't wait, but I put off kind of dealing with the anger and the facts. You know, it took a long time for me to kind of, let go of that that love for instance I think I slept with a t-shirt of his for a while for for no reason I just wanted to feel close to him until I was ready to face the the shit that he'd done basically so that's interesting I don't think I really knew that so initially you were sort of more conventionally the grieving widow and you were really sad and lost and loved your husband and then what the anger sort of manifested later did it I don't think I knew that can you talk about that it it, it kind of (laughs) it peppered into those early days definitely and I think you do rewrite history a little bit I look back and say I was just angry I was just hurt I was just shocked but actually you know looking back I I did still love him and I was there was an element of disbelief as well over, over what he'd done I could see it in black and white on my computer screen but I guess my heart didn't just stop loving him overnight. And so, yeah, those early days, I did. There was, you know, a huge mixture of emotions. By the time the funeral came, it, it had been six weeks. So I'd had time to let those settle. And the anger, I think, was only just starting coming out then. Yeah, I, I suppose also you, yes, you the shock. And we we, we realise now and talk, 
we've talked to loads of our guests actually about this way the brain does very strange things you know the pajamas the bra you know that making the police cups of tea and I suppose perhaps in that moment you're you were only able to process one part of what had happened at a time so the primary loss was the loss of your husband yeah exactly and you know extra additional losses all came off of that because then you the loss of the person you knew and the life that you thought that you had so yeah I I guess that does make sense that initially you would have had you know the more conventional grief which then would transition into the complex stuff oh look I didn't expect to go that deep with you today mate sorry <laughs> no, that's all right it's nice to kind of unlock these memories isn't it because I do think you know for us we're both a few years down the line and certain stuff we'll have put away into a box and shut the box sure. but it's nice sometimes god I sound like my therapist now but sometimes you've got to open that box haven't you get everything out fold it up again and put it back. Yeah, I realised that I'd promised to update people on the scattering of John's first wife's ashes and it didn't feel appropriate because we were talking with Ellie from Dignity and Dying. It was it was very emotional and watching the child that I view as a daughter cry, I can feel, actually I can feel my, oh, I can feel all the emotions now picturing her. But it was one of those real cathartic cries, you know, that we all know. And as adults, we know that they do us good. It, nobody really wants to do it because it's, it's so exhausting. We're used to being, you know, trying to control these emotions. But she really let go and, and, and John cried. And then they sort of came for a massive hug and, and all of us, you know, embraced them. And then we went and had fish and chips on the beach. And we bought Holly a little necklace made with some Whitby jet to bring home. And, and then we had some friends over to the Airbnb. And we actually had, I know it's a really weird thing to say, but we actually had the most fantastic little break together. And I think it united us that little bit more as a family. So it was, yeah, it was emotional, but it was it was important. And I think that waiting until Holly was of an age that she could appreciate the magnitude of it and also so she will remember it was and also until John was ready we do have a little bit of Sarah left in the cupboard to break into a piece of jewellery for Holly for when she's older as well. I think that's lovely that it it just turned out to be the perfect moment for for John and Holly to to do that so I'm so glad that you did. Yeah and it gives Holly somewhere that she can go we you know I love the idea of her taking future partners or mates to Whitby and you know this is my special place this is where my we scattered my mum's ashes and I think you do find that they need something like that I you know I we have a stone up at a church there's nothing really there because <laughs> I don't have a body but uh, there is you know, some little notes and that sort of thing that are, are buried under there a sort of time capsule type thing I suppose and we don't go very often but we will probably go up on the 12th which is the anniversary we'll probably stand awkwardly around this stone because it's kind of what we feel we meant to do I you know I never it's really- hard though isn't it do you have a, do you have another place that you can go where maybe you and Ben went there you know I'm fascinated by this idea of special places what places where we can go to bring us comfort and bring back happy memories well you know what I think I'm probably just going to go up to the coast probably home because we, we used to go there quite a lot with the kids the, the kids love the arcades and all that but and, and again try and turn what is a really sad day into something where we all get together and have fun sometimes I do try and get over to see Ben's mum on the Isle of Wight but it's not I'm not able to this time so we will we will definitely FaceTime her and I'm her and I will probably have a a good old sob together and it's it's the first anniversary that I'm facing sober so I mean I was just sober last year but it was very new so not having that coping mechanism to lead to means that you got to feel these things and you no, know, it's gonna sting but I'll 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 talk you all through it as, as we go. You can live it in real time with a couple of weeks. 
Oh, hey, we didn't mention that it was your birthday on Monday, Lucinda. And it's actually mine tomorrow as well. So that's a, a lovely little quirk of our friendship. Our birthdays are so close together. So I, we are recording this on Wednesday to go out on Friday. So tomorrow will be Thursday. And we are going to, I'm putting this in here so we have to do it. We're going to swim in the sea. So I say swim. We're going to get into the sea. <laughs> yes so we'll probably put some hideously unflattering photos of us in swimsuits on instagram so maybe we should just put like a little trigger warning <laughs> oh brilliant can't wait now you've fully committed us to that so <laughs> but if this doesn't go until friday we could still edit it happy birthday me <laughs> And happy birthday, me. Right. On that note, thank you for listening, everybody. We will be back with you with a new episode on Monday. And if you would do us a favour and subscribe to our podcast, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for your support, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back with you soon for more from the front line of loss. But for now... As you were.